Hello and welcome back to The Heavy Corner. I know it's been some time, but well, you know, 2022 has been an interesting year for the most of us between COVID being back on and off again, between gigs coming back. I've changed jobs twice this year and I've moved once. And yeah, I guess life's just been crazy. And I guess you will probably feel the same. Most of us who are creatives have probably had some major lulls, you know, wanting to start projects abandoning projects, starting new projects, and then thinking they were shit and then coming back to the original ones. And I'm no different. We're all human. And I am just glad to be back um, finding the motivation once again to continue on with this podcast and really looking forward to, to sharing more stories with you guys, to chatting with, you know, both people I've known over the years and hopefully soon some awesome new people who I've never had the opportunity to speak to and being able to share some of their personal stories with you guys. Speaking of, this episode was recorded on the 26th of January. For those of you who are Australian, will know that that is Australia Day. And that was also many, many months ago. Like I said, sorry for the, the, the long, long time between the two episodes or the three episodes. But here we are. We're back. I'm here. All is well. Before I keep rambling, I will introduce the next guest. And that is who we're chatting to back in January. But this is who you're listening to today. And that is an incredible vocalist and someone that is just one of the greatest humans and sweetest people and just really, really lovely dude. Um, and that is Jim Gray from Caligula's Horse. I'd like to start off with a story as I often do. I first introduced myself to you over Facebook Messenger back in 2015 after seeing you guys play. I think it might've been at the factory theater. I was reaching out to see if you offered online coaching or any kind of lessons and we've stayed in contact over the years. I did an interview with you back in the day when I was running Metal Marketing, which is a marketing blog, and we were talking about the Rust film clip, um, which is still my favorite song to date. But I wanted to start off with when I was living in the Netherlands and it was a really tough time for me settling in and finding a new job and, well, let's be honest, not trying to make friends because I'm the biggest introvert that ever existed. But lo and behold, during the cold winter on a Sunday night, Caligula's Horse and Shining from Norway uh, played a gig just down the road from where I was living. What were your memories from that show? How quiet it is in that that city, that place, which I can't remember the name of. Oh my gosh. Utrecht. Utrecht. It was so nice there. I, my, my memories of the show is I've got a couple of mates that were living um, in the Netherlands at the time and they came to the show and I hadn't seen them in some years and it was it was really exciting to see them. But also afterwards, we were out looking for food, like to grab a falafel or something, as as one does. And it just startled me how much it felt like I was walking through an empty movie set. Um, it was a really interesting place. Yeah, super quiet. Yeah, I, I very much got that from living there for the year. Great gigs, though. Great gigs. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and the venue was awesome, too. It was one of those really cool kind of mid-sized ones where, you know, the stage is big enough to move around and have a good time, but it's a it's an intimate enough venue that it doesn't feel like you're playing to a big empty room, <laughs> which we've done many times. So let's go back to the early days. When did you figure out when you first could sing? That's actually a really interesting question. I um, never really sang that much as a, a really young kid. This is, I don't remember, but this is what my parents report to me when they're telling fun stories. When I was about nine, my, my folks wanted to send me to private school and there's no way that we could have afforded to, you know, send us all to private school. So they were yep. uh, hunting all of these scholarships and things. Um, and so, you know, you go for the academic, you go for all of this sort of different type of scholarship. And... <laughs> 
And uh, they said for a laugh, like, oh, there's this choral scholarship with this cathedral choir where you work really hard and you sing every day and uh, and they'll pay for half the school fees. And I was just like, yeah, cool. I'll, I'll give that a go. What a, what a hilarious prospect. <laughs> and I actually got in and we sort of discovered that I did have a bit of a natural ear for music and sort of a, a naturally kind of sweet boyish kind of voice. And, uh, and yeah, from that point on, it was basically daily vocal training from the age of nine through to like 17. That's awesome. Um, singing liturgical choral music. Did you enjoy it, the choral music? Well, I mean, you know, I, I genuinely did and I still do. Like, I don't, um, I don't go to church or anything. I'm not a religious person, but like when I do happen to, like when we're traveling through Europe and it's like I walk into a cathedral and I remember the others got really kind of turned off and freaked out by the, the ritual aspect of everyone repeating what was being said and all of that stuff. Um, mm. But I'm there going like, oh, you know, this reminds me of being a kid and, you know, it reminds me of, you know, being at home and stuff. And the music in those places is just like, for lack of a better word, heavenly. Uh, it's it's amazing. And what was the inspiration for some of your earlier projects like Arcane and how did that lead into Caligula's Horse as we know it today? Um, Mostly through mutual connections. Yeah. You know, it's one of those things where, you know, I started Arcane with the guys when I was like, 17 years old, you know, and we were, we were sort of growing up together in musically and kind of just finding our feet and going like, what are we doing? We like dream theater and prog and whatever. And let's just, let's just do as much prog as we can. And, uh, from that point on, it was just like the other bands that we were playing with. You sort of get to know the scene and the other people in there. And Sam Vallon actually formed a, a band, which became Quandary around some of the people within that scene, which included at the time, the basis, the original basis for Arcane. And then he sort of disappeared from the scene and that's how we connected. And from that point on, it was like, you know, we knew each other. So when Sam went to go, I'm going to do this solo album, a little bit different from Quandria, I'm going to get guest vocalists on it. And that's when, that's when he asked me to come and, and guest on it. And then from that point on, it's strange history for 12 years. I mean, for you as well, like looking back, I guess, you know, did, did you end up where you thought you would? Has it been a totally different journey? Are you beyond thrilled that it's, you know, potentially spiraled out further than you could have ever imagined? Well, the last two years have been a bit shit uh, and a little bit unexpected. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like you start writing what? You start writing progressive metal music, you know, not exactly expecting to be on the front page of whatever, you know, we never had delusions of of grandeur. In fact, like we specifically said, you know, early on um, when we were talking about this stuff, it's like, yeah, this is never going to be a a pop band. This is never going to go beyond this thing. This is a, a labor of love and a passion for us. And the very fact that then, you know, being signed to Inside Out and then, you know, having being five albums deep and and touring the world and all of that sort of stuff, we really never expected any of that. And so I don't think any of us take that for granted at all when we're there. It's, we always kind of pinch ourselves going overseas and going, yeah, man, music brought me here. And that's that's wild. And coming from Brisbane, do you think that sort of changed anything as well? I know the Australian music scene is, is very hard to, to break through and, and get out there overseas. Do you think it's ever been like a quirky thing that's intrigued people a little bit more or or not so much? I don't know. I mean, maybe in Australia it does because, you know, when we're not a a band from sort of the like artistic hubs or the biggest cities or whatever. I mean, I think people expect Melbourne when they think about Australian entertainment, like any kind of TV presenter, comedian that you're going to hear on TV basically has a a Victorian or Melbourne accent like that. It's just how it is. 
But in terms of internationally, I think that they just, I mean, a lot of other countries think of Sydney and that's it when they think of Australia. So it's not really like a novelty that we're from Brisbane because Brisbane, like, where is that? Um, yeah. <laughs> but I, I have a lot of Brisbane pride, actually, not not in a strange kind of parochial state of origin kind of way, but but in a, like, I wouldn't live in any other city in Australia. And it's purely because I'm in my mid thirties and I have kids and I've put down roots and, you know, and I'm, I'm stubborn now. <laughs> But uh, it's um, it's a beautiful place. It's my favorite place. And I'm glad we come from Brisbane. I've only spent a little bit of time up there, but I'm, I'm sure there's many things I've missed out. <laughs> but um, yeah, I guess as well, sort of speaking on Brisbane stuff, like that's given you guys some pretty cool opportunities to open for, for bands like Opeth and, you know, other cool touring artists that have popped through. Yeah, I, I think it's it's interesting to note that I mean one of the one of the upsides I suppose from being in Brisbane is that the market saturation for music, if you will, isn't isn't as high. Like if you go to like you hear about bands moving to Melbourne and whatever, and then all of a sudden there's just more bands to compete with on a Saturday night, you know that kind of thing, and it's a bit tricky. But we did end up getting a whole bunch of of supports around um, the release of our second album. So this is some years ago now, but still really kind of important moments like touring with Australian bands like Voyager and 12 Foot Ninja and that kind of thing. And then all of a sudden having access to playing shows with Opeth for crying out loud. And, and I remember one of the most poignant ones was in 2015 in May playing Eaton's Hill with Opeth. And it was one of the biggest stages we'd ever played on at the time. Uh, tons and tons of people in the room and just, just blowing our minds to even be there. And my daughter was born the night before my first uh, daughter. So it's like, I remember being on stage just no sleep, you know, it'd been a really stressful week and you know, it was a scary situation. And, uh, and then be, all of a sudden being up on stage, like, hi guys, how's it going? Um, and, uh, I remember telling everyone in the crowd that my daughter was born the previous night and this, this chorus of like, I don't know, 1500, 1500, 2000 dudes with beards in black t-shirts all going, oh, that's not, <laughs> it, was, it was a very, uh, funny and telling moment that metal people suck and we're all just real softies. <laughs> that makes me think as well. I know I've been to so many of your guys' shows and the, the, the heckling and the shit that comes out of the audience mouth just cracks me up every time. I mean, does that, what, what's that like for you? And I know for your birthday as well, last year, you asked people to share memes and some of the stuff I saw just, you know, <laughs> it was the most funny thing I've ever seen. The memes range from hilarious and abstract to uh, sexual and uncomfortable. Um, there's some, some of them that really strike me as kind of like, please, why, why would you, why would you, why would you share that directly with me? Um, that's, that's your stuff. That's your private stuff. You, you keep that at home. Uh, <laughs> but I love the heckling. I do. I, you know, at every show where we've, you know, and I think we're kind of known for it now, particularly in Australia that, you know, people yell stuff out that they, they want to be heard. They want to take part in the conversation, you know? Yeah. And, and I really enjoy it because it kind of gives you an opportunity to, to have a fun moment with the crowd and have a little, uh, brief break from, you know, constant onslaught of music and serious prog metal conceptual stuff and just have a bit of a laugh, which is a, a uniquely Australian thing. Um, and I did notice that, you know, when we were overseas in Europe for the first time and, and every other time that we've gone since then, and including going to Latin America as well, is that foreign audiences just love the Australian nature, like the way that we are. Because I, I never realized just how Australian I was, you know, until uh, till I'd been overseas so, so often and has seen so many different places. It's like, yeah, I'm, I'm Aussie as fuck. And that really relaxed kind of tone that we have on stage of like, you know, having a laugh and g'day, how's it going? Instead of being like, you're having a good time tonight. You know, it's like, it's not so over the top. 
And they love it. They really love it. It's a breath of fresh air for them. That's awesome. I, I guess sort of back to the band's bio, uh, I was checking that out earlier today and I saw Jeff Buckley's name listed as one of the influences there, which really stood out to me personally because I, you know, very much hear that in a lot of the songs, especially Daughter of the Mountain. So who or, or what else has been a major inspiration for you, either vocally or lyrically? Uh, lyrically is interesting because I don't necessarily take... Um, specific tools or um, tricks from people's lyrics themselves, from like reading them or whatever. But people that have really evocative lyrics tend to kind of hit me in a way that drives a creativity that comes from somewhere else. I'm one of those people that, that kind of, I experience music with my whole body, like from the from the ground up, you know, and so I I get waves of frisson and emotion and stuff like that. And I know not everybody listens to music like that, but it, it's, I get transported when I listen to music. And so when those lyrics are that evocative and um, imaginative and, and kind of vague but conjuring kind of imagery, it's it's open enough that it kind of sparks a story or something with me that can take me somewhere else. And I think Tori Amos is a really, really good example of that. Mm. You know, she'll have a whole bunch of lyrics that are phrases that are kind of fragmented and semi-related that kind of tie together a theme. And then she'll just drop a single line and it, all of a sudden you're crying. It's just like, it's, it's magic. She weaves magic lyrically. There are other lyricists like even... Um, Dara Suddath from, um, I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, uh, from uh, Fair to Midland, who toys a lot with cliche and idiom and just kind of twists them just a little bit and it kind of toes the line between too cheesy and fucking perfect. And that's really exciting to me. And again, Jeff Buckley um, paints paints poetry as well. Like it's all really kind of evocative. And I think that that's where that comes from. So I wouldn't say that there's a particular kind of lyrical style that I like to liked to emulate in order to develop my own style. I think it was more coming from um, just experience of my own writing and the emotions drawn on by inspiration. As for vocalists, there's a lot of a lot of female artists uh, that have inspired me over the years. Um, again, I'm going to go back to Dory <laughs> because she's awesome. She's she's just wonderful. And in fact, the song Dragonfly is uh, heavily inspired by and kind of almost lyrically dedicated to the works of of those two people, Jeff Buckley and Tori Amos. And now, of course, having having heard that, you're going to go through and go like, oh, I see what's happening there. It's just unoriginal. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Never. Yeah, but I like I honestly can't name a, a specific, again, um, vocalist that's kind of helped to kind of guide and shape me directly. I mean, you've got people even back from when I was younger listening to Muse a lot, like Matt Bellamy, along with Jeff Buckley and where those two cross over. And then, of course, more modern context, there's like Arnold Dan from Agent Fresco, who really excited me about using the upper register of my voice. And then, you know, other contemporaries in the scene, too. I mean, I remember watching Daniel Tompkins when we were touring with him, touring with uh, Tesseract and being able to watch him from side stage and just just pick things up, just watch watch people sing and pick up what happens. You know, all of those things, you just kind of uh, pick them up by osmosis along the way. So, yeah, long answer to that short question. Uh <laughs> <laughs> No, no, it's good. No, it's fascinating. I mean, for me, just, you know, learning what the process is and hearing other people's inspirations, you know, just what sparks that creativity, I think kind of kind of also helps people get out of a rut, you know, in, in that sort of sense of it, it's okay to rely on that to give you, you know, the energy to give you the motivation to want to sort of pick up and do your own creative outlet or, or pursue your own projects. So no, I think that's super interesting for me personally. Yeah, it's funny when that um, kind of dries up. And it kind of goes, you know, wh where's that inspiration going to come from next? I, I, like, I remember when Sam and I finished Graves, like 
Graves actually crushed Sam. Like it took, it took us a long time to write and a lot of time to refine. And, um, you know, and I, I was burned out by the end of it, but it, you know, Sam, Sam just puts everything into everything. And the amount of work he put into that song was insane. And I remember at the end of it, it was just like the well was dry. The creative well was dry and we needed to find it from somewhere else. And it took a long while to kind of get back into the swing of things for both of us after that. That was a huge effort. Some of the other stuff you've done that I find really fascinating is spoken word. And I know that that was incorporated in some of the live shows a good couple of years back. Is that something like where, where did your passion for that come from? And is that something that you might continue doing in the future? Good question. And I don't know to almost both of those. <laughs> like I remember really enjoying Mikey from Sixth, his bizarre spoken word, you know, angular, one voice, two voice, all the, it's almost like crazy voice acting that he does through those pieces. I remember being really, you know, excited about that, but I didn't really take it on as like a, Hey, that would be a cool thing for me to do. I did get into kind of some spoken word stuff, um, you know, before in contact and kind of get excited about the idea. I don't even remember the names of any of the, um, spoken word poets that I, I had just viewed their stuff on YouTube and kind of taken on. And again, it was just like an experiment in doing stuff. Um, dipping my toe in something. And it was a, a phase that I went through. And I think inertia was probably the best thing that I wrote out of all of that. I had a whole bunch, but inertia, which was crafted specifically for the concept of in contact, like I, th I think that was the best one I ever did. The rest are all a little subpar. Cause again, it was just me kind of fiddling with a new idea and, and taking a, taking a little adventure. I can't imagine us doing it again, but again, I'm not, I'm not going to rule anything out. Like if we want to, if something suits like an album concept or something suits a moment on an album, we'll absolutely do it. What's been one of your personal career highlights to date? Shit. That's a super generic question, but. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> and it should have a really obvious answer, shouldn't it? Now, actually on, on the topic of, um, of uh, inertia, probably one of the highlights of my career. And again, like we've played festivals, internationally been, you know, on a stage in front of thousands of people in, in Barcelona in this magical venue. You know, we've, we've played with some of our favorite bands in the world, Opeth, Pain of Salvation, you know, like we've toured and just done crazy stuff. But I think one of the highlights of my career has to be delivering inertia into the cannon's mouth in Berlin. And I think it was because as I was you know, as I was delivering it, I kind of came to realize that a great deal of the inspiration and the content, particularly in the first half of it, was actually inspired by stuff that we'd seen on a previous tour in Poland about, you know, in, in the Jewish quarter of um, Krakow, which is where one of the first concentration camps was built. And there was a piece of graffiti on the wall of one of those houses, and we translated it roughly with Google. And it was basically saying that, you know, this family with their name um, were part of this community and lived in this house from the year like 17 something, you know, or even earlier through to 1930 or whatever. Yeah, wow. And it just showed that it's like, these are people that had deep roots in the community and they were part of the town and part of the city and they were just treated like the other and then taken away and killed. And that piece of graffiti was actually protected by glass over the top of it. Like you, you couldn't access it. So there's, there's a line in inertia that, um, specifically relates to, you know, the writing on the wall that really matters is in the Jewish quarter under bulletproof glass. And that specifically relates to that moment. And I remember being on stage in Berlin and just going like, holy shit, you know, this, this place was the hub of that atrocity and that um, violence and that, that impact and being able to be free enough to come and deliver that poem in that place and have, you know, a couple of hundred people there all shouting the words back with me was really emotional. Like it was, it was truly a highlight. 
I've got goosebumps just hearing that. <laughs> it's hard not to get emotional thinking about it. Just getting that opportunity to travel and to see all of that. And I guess being able to do that through touring must be, mm. you know, pretty, pretty incredible. Yeah. And, I, you know, what, what's interesting is that uh, Germany does with their history a lot better than we do, I would think. I mean, the way that we do like to kind of ignore um, the sort of darker side of Australian history, particularly in relation to um, the indigenous is uh, it's, it's a habit that we have. And particularly given, I mean, we're recording this on Australia day because, you know, it's a, a hot topic, but Germany bring to light that stuff. They talk about it. They, they have it on display. It's, they're not sitting there denying that, that they, their people and their nation did all of these things. Um, and I think that that's a much healthier way of kind of recovering it from that level of, of polarization and indoctrination indoctrination there's the word mm. i was about to say indoctrination and that's um not a word in english so is english a real language it's an amalgam it's it's a it's a mongrel we speak a mongrel language then add all of the australian slang into that and we just confuse the shit out of pretty much all europeans and americans uh, that we speak <laughs> to <laughs> yes indeed yes so as well obviously we are recording this in advance so by the time that this episode comes out your new podcast the music and everything will have launched so why has this been really important for you to find a new creative outlet while we, you know, waited out for touring to resume? It's actually probably something I should have done a lot earlier, but I spent 18 months to two years wallowing in my own upset, sad boy sorrow at what I was viewing as kind of the death of my career. And it's it was, it was very sad. And I know it's not true. And at some point soon, we're going to get back into touring and, and riding and everything like that. But to be honest... This is probably like the least creative that I've felt over the last two years that I have in my entire life. You know, a lot of people were out there saying, you know, I can't wait mm. for artists to, to, you know, put stuff out. And I know that some artists have. They've done some great work um, since the lockdowns and since the prevention of touring and all of that. They've, they've really done some incredible stuff. But for me, I just, the well was dry. I, I was too sad. I was too upset. I was too heartbroken. Um, but basically I've realized that the, the reason I was, wasn't so resilient against that impact was because I had defined myself for so long around one particular thing. And that wasn't just music. That was Caligula's horse. And that was myself as a performer and, and an entertainer. And, you know, doing some reflection on that, I, I really do feel that I'm more of a, an entertainer than I am a, a musician even really. Like having an audience is something that is important to me and being able to use those skills that I've developed over the past 20 years of 20 fucking years of performing on stage <laughs> and kind of trying to find different avenues of doing that. And so that's where the podcast idea came from because, you know, my um, brother and my sister-in-law, who uh, Sam and Sam, who are uh, part of the podcast, we always found ourselves kind of chatting about stuff like we'd always, you know, at any family gathering, it'd be the three of us somewhere having a little chit chat about something awesome and having a laugh and having a good time. And because we enjoyed that so much, we're just like, yeah, let's, let's try this thing. And we've had a heap of fun doing it. So I, I hope that other people enjoy it as well. I've got another couple of projects in the works as well that I, you know, I'm not kind of formalized as yet. So I'm, I'm going to leave them be, but you know, I'm, I'm working on a bunch of different ways to define myself, to kind of prove to myself that I can be, I can be more than one thing and to kind of show others that you can be more than one thing. You can do as many things as you want. What's been your favorite topic to cover so far or something you want to talk about in the future? And they're all really interesting and it's different because, oh yeah, well in the future, I, th I really want to cover language as a concept, because, you know, we, we will chat about, you know, big picture stuff like play, like the concept of play is the pilot episode. Um, and we've, we've covered comfort food and there's other really specific kind of people's interests that we're covering or going to cover. 
But the big broad ones, the one I get excited about that I want to sort of take the lead on is is language because it excites the shit out of me. Um, not just because it's, you know, an, an interesting thing to look at the history of. Just, you know, we all have these different forms of communication that really just, just mean the same thing. The, the unity of language, despite its division, excites me. So that's probably one we're going to cover. Yeah, as for what's next with Seahorse, um, you know, there's been a lot of kind of a lot of time spent thinking about riding and you know, considering getting back on the proverbial horse uh, once again. But um, I think now we're sort of in a position where we really want to get started doing that. And so I'm really hoping that through 2022 that we can, you know, find ourselves again musically and creatively and kind of um, kick off the process again, like in whatever form that takes. So that excites me for the next year or so. And uh, fingers crossed, I mean, like international borders are opening up now for the vaccinated. So it's kind of depending on where we want to go. The idea of international touring isn't necessarily that far off. So I, I'm yeah, I'm going to keep just knocking on wood because there's been so many times that we've we've gone oh it's looking a lot better and then it just gets way worse way worse all over again um so you know who knows what's going to happen but uh i i hope it happens soon i mean that's that's where i'm at and when you guys get back out there is there any dream venues or countries that you would love to tour to obviously you know budget not a thing yeah, budget notwithstanding, um, I think <laughs> I think that, you know, I mean, other than touring the US, which is something that we've never got to do because, you know, our, our tour was going to be uh, on the release of Rise Radiant, in, which was May 2020. So obviously that didn't happen. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, other than that, I really want to go back. It's not even it's not even a different place that I haven't been to. I want to go back to Chile and I want to go back to Mexico because the people there and the vibe in the room at a musical performance is insane. And I don't mean insane in the kind of aggressive metal, everybody in the pit, let's do a wall of death level insane. I just mean like the love that they express for the music, you know, in the moment of it, the love that they're sharing with you in the moment of performance is fucking tangible. It's it's like it's in the air, you know. You know, there's people people crying, like grown men crying in the crowd. Everyone's singing every word. Everyone's singing along with the guitar melodies. Like it, it, there's a there's an energy there, and the people that that love what you do will you know express that to you. They'll they'll come to you and and they'll talk to you about how much that is. And I think culturally they do wear their hearts on their sleeve a little bit more than we do in Australia, especially, and that that other people do in other countries. So honestly, it's not even not yeah, it's not even about going and going to a place that I've never been. It's, it's literally, I just want to go back there and see those people again. That's awesome. I mean, I've, yeah, I've been to Mexico too and I, I can't think of who I went and saw, which is terrible because it's like a really big band. <laughs> <laughs> and I had a carnival shirt on and this dude just walked up to me and was just like, looked at me in disbelief and be like, cool band. And I'm like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you spoke much more English, but he, he just kept on walking by. But yeah, I, I remember being in the crowd and I was like, this is, this is next level. Yeah. And I think a lot of the gigs I've been to and nothing against the Australian crowd, it is very much a different vibe here but I think yeah a lot of the gigs I've been to overseas have been different levels of interesting you know I've had everything from being told off for wearing earplugs at an Iron Maiden gig because you know that's not metal um, to people being super polite and just you know letting you through you tap on the shoulder and be like oh I just want to get in pass and everyone's like yeah cool whatever oh of course of course come on come through why not uh, whereas here it's like don't fucking stand in front of me yeah yeah <laughs> it, it's really interesting because literally shows everywhere are different. Yes. Even within the States in Australia, like particularly early on, we always found that, that say Sydney shows were really standoffish, like until we developed a Sydney crowd of our own and those people came to see us and, you know, having a wonderful time. But early on when you were kind of unknown. It's all right. We're a weird bunch. Yeah. Well, I mean, yes, <laughs> but uh, yeah, they, they would, they would kind of 
have an attitude almost of like, all right, prove it, you know, show me, show me why, why I should be interested in listening kind of thing. And we got to, uh, it's interesting because some countries have a really physical expression of their love for the music and their enjoyment in the moment. And I, I as Latin America obviously is, is very physical and, and full of love, but there are other countries that are, that are the absolute opposite. Like they can be thrilled and loving it and just standing dead still and just watching. I remember playing a show in um, Gothenburg in Sweden, and I know that's not how it's pronounced. And in a very real way, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Aussie accent. We can get away with whatever we want. I'm just, yeah, Gothenburg, mate. Um, that's adorable. And I, I remember being on stage and just looking out over the crowd who were just deadpan staring at me, just like watching the show. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I'm pretty jet lagged at this stage and yep. I'm just dying inside, just going, they hate it. They hate it. They're hating every second of this. I, I don't know why I'm here. <laughs> and then the song ends and they just erupt. They just erupt with applause. They're like just enraptured by the performance. And it's just like, oh, of course. Yeah, no, they, they're, they're loving it. They're just loving it in their own way. I remember playing a festival in uh, the Netherlands somewhere in Valkenburg, um, and it was the Midsummer Prog Fest, which was in this incredible venue, like, um, which obviously was a, I think it was a theatrical stage, hence, you know, Midsummer, whatever. And there was a little amphitheater that opened up and the, and the roof above it was all this stained glass kind of leaf shape. That's cool. And even to get through to the stage, the backstage was like this cave thing that you were in, that you walk through this rock formation and you walk out on the, st the stage, which is flat ground and everyone's sort of sitting above you in the amphitheater. And that was, there was a similar moment with that as well, where I've never played a show in an amphitheater where like I'm staring at the front row at my eye height and everyone else is above and they're right there with no distance between you. And it's kind of like, hi, uh, okay. And we play the show and everyone's kind of bobbing their heads along and watching. And I've got that same feeling inside of just like, ah, God damn it. Like we're bombing here at this festival. And again, last note, last song, standing ovation. Like they, they absolutely loved it and they loved it in their own way. Um, so yeah, Australia is very different to a lot of places, um, but everywhere, even places that are, you know, geographically in close proximity to one another can be startlingly different in their um, response to live music. You guys can find the music and everything on Spotify, iTunes, and anywhere else you can listen to podcasts. And thank you so much for, for chatting with me today, Jim. It's been really lovely to, to see you again. And hopefully next time we'll be on stage somewhere soon. It has been lovely. Thank you very much for having me. I always like talking and I like talking about myself uh, at length. So this has been great. Uh, thank you. If you enjoyed this episode and you want to hear more, go ahead and hit that follow or subscribe button on whatever platform you're using to hear this episode. If you're keen to support the show, it would be amazing if you can rate or review the podcast and follow me online at The Heavy Corner on Facebook, where I just hit 500 followers. I know that doesn't sound like heaps, but that's awesome to me. So thank you to those guys who are following me there. And you can also find me on Instagram, Twitter and YouTube at The Heavy Corner. And if you are super keen to hear more and want to make sure that I don't go another eight months between uh, episodes again, come over to Patreon to support the show. I desperately tried to do it all on my own. And well, you know, anyone who knows me knows that I am terrible at asking for help, but I need some help. So here goes nothing. The first 150 supporters of the show will get access to a limited tier on Patreon for one US dollar a month, which is around about two-ish Aussie dollars, I guess. So this will help to cover some of the running costs, including the software that I use to record this show, um, also the hosting to keep the show running, and also the website as well. 
I wanted to create a fun and supportive corner of the internet where we can talk shit about music and gigs and I'll share some behind the scenes photos and videos from concerts over the years and I'll also share some exclusive behind the scenes snippets from episodes and other odd stuff in my archives which I can tell you is a lot. I have kept just about every single ticket stub and uh, festival bracelet. I've got signed stuff and photos and all sorts of random crap from over the years as well as a whole bunch of stuff in uh, dad's garage and if you don't know who that is that is Matt from Mortal Sin. So lots of awesome things that you might not be able to see elsewhere and I would really love to share it with you guys knowing that you are probably all as big a music nerds as I am you guys might appreciate it. And the best bit of all is that you can submit questions for upcoming guests and I'll choose a few of these for each episode so you really don't want to miss out on that opportunity. All you need to do is head over to patreon.com slash the heavy corner and pledge a dollar US dollar of your life away to me uh, where I promise I will use it to put towards all of these things to make episodes come out every month hopefully on time for the rest of now and forever last but not least a special thank you to everyone who's already been following the show on all the different social channels to my guests who have been gracious and willing to give me an hour or so of their time to have a chat talk shit and listen to me ramble on about all sorts and also to dan for writing the intro music check out the show notes for more details on the fantastic people who are helping me put this episode together see you next time